Welcome to Honey and Homeschooling the Kids, a podcast that steps into alternative education, parenting, and living a funner, fuller family life. I'm Robin, home educator, unschooling mom to two funny, eclectic kids, and we're here to create a space for families to listen, connect, learn from others, and be inspired. Join us every two weeks to hear interviews and tips from experts in learning, education, and parenting, and stories from families that are playing full out in the arena of life and education. World schooling, unschooling, alternative schooling, homeschooling, or just creating a whole new style of learning. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And right now, we're going to give a special shout out to... <laughs> Stacy Piercy from Kids to Market. We're giving a special shout out to Stacy Piercy because she's actually been a wonderful supporter of the podcast, of our podcast, Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. And she has done this because she's been a regular supporter through Patreon. And we would like to give her a special shout out. So thank you very much, Stacy, for supporting the show over this time through Patreon by becoming a patron. And if you are interested in doing the same, you can go to patreon.com com slash honey I'm homeschooling the kids and outside of that Stacy does wonderful support to the homeschooling community through the great programs that she has created for kid entrepreneurs so you can definitely check that out okay let's start right into the intro now mom who did you interview in this episode I interviewed Mara Leineberger and why did you interview her because Mara comes with fantastic insight, especially during this time period of COVID quarantine and the crisis that we're in right now. She is actually a former educator. She spent over 25 years in the public school system, principal, administrator, but she's also the founder of Micro School Builders, where she helps parents and others in the community to create and build micro schools that support the unique interests and abilities of kids. And we actually, I thought with her wonderful background and current work, she would be great to talk about what's going on right now, how educators are dealing with the crisis, how it's changing our education system and schools, strategies that parents can use, those that are working, uh, the, the balance, the strategies to help support our kids, and the different skill sets that parents can use to help their kids become more or better self-directed learners, which has proved to be really powerful for those that already are self-directed learners during this time. And we also talked about some of the micro schools and other smaller schools and how they've actually been really able to pivot quite quickly compared to many other larger traditional structures and why this is the case, how, why, and how they've supported their student populations and community uh, in a, a lot more flexible, easier way. Would you like to say anything else about her? No, I think just tune into the interview and you can go to microschoolbuilders.com, her website, to also learn more about them. Okay, and remember to follow my mom on Facebook and Instagram at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids and go check out her website at Honey, I'm Homeschooling the Kids. Enjoy the episode! So today I have on the show Mara Leineberger. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here, Robin. Mara actually has been a guest on the podcast earlier, and I really encourage you to go and check out her other two episodes as well. But if you are just being introduced to Mara, I can let you know a little bit more about her. Mara Leinenberger's essential belief is that each of us has chosen to be here on the planet at this moment in time for a specific reason, that we're all on a mission we chose for ourselves, and that figuring 
out what it is that we love, what we're good at, and why we've chosen to be here now is the main reason for continuing to engage in rich and meaningful learning throughout a lifetime. Mara also believes that many schools actually slow down or stifle these goals and outcomes. So she's passionate about helping parents and kids figure out the very best ways to harness learning in order to develop their highest potentials. I love that, Mara. Mara is a lifelong educator, author, musician, and artist, having spent 25 years in service as a public school educator, teacher trainer, and administrator. First earning her doctorate in instructional technology, Mara then went on to earn a superintendent's letter of eligibility in the state of Pennsylvania. Having seen the reality of school from top to bottom, she then sensed it was time for her to change directions. Mara began to explore new ways of teaching and learning with her first business, Mindful Technology Consultants. Mara currently lives with her husband, Michael, in Harmony, Pennsylvania, while running her newest endeavor, Microschool Builders, a virtual company that supports teachers across the globe to envision, launch, and network a bespoke microschool of their very own. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. It's a really interesting time in education, isn't it, Robin? Isn't it, though? It's a very interesting time. I think it's a time, a pivoting time for history and for education as well. So I actually, I, I do, I want to get your, I think this is a great discussion and very timely, and I want to get your ideas and opinions on this as well and, and from the background that you have. So what do you see and hear is happening right now? Um, maybe let's start, with break it down. As from teachers and school staff, I don't know how much you're in touch with others from there, but being a former public school teacher and administrator, what do you see and ha- is happening right now on their end? Well, so for people who might be listening to this at some point in the future, we're just like right in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. So everybody's now home from school. Just just yesterday here in the state of Pennsylvania, in the United States, um, our governor announced that schools would not return for the remainder of the year. So okay. Okay. in the last three weeks, four weeks, we've seen um, our schools successively close and educators uh, be forced with a very difficult task of pivoting almost overnight from being in their classrooms with their students to figuring out how to continue to serve them. Um, I still am teaching graduate level coursework for teachers here in the U.S. Um, okay. So I have I'm hearing on a regular basis from them um, the ins and outs of what it, they're going through. And I, what I can tell you, Robin, is it's just really very uneven. Um, situation. So we have many districts, and I bet it's the same um, in Canada and and frankly all over the globe, that some school districts or provinces, whatever the the large organizing uh, government, governmental or or regional um, entities are that serve education, uh, there's a lot of unevenness in, in what has the response has been. So we have some districts that have really incredible technology resources. So they've been able to take their teachers and their students and pivot pretty quickly online, um, taking kids into learning management systems. So these are, are big technology tools that allow teachers to share um, assignments, content, instruction. Um, we've seen teachers begin to use tools like Google Hangouts and Zoom uh, yeah. to virtually meet with their students. 
But then in many other cases, we have districts where the students don't have access to technology, um, don't have connectivity or bandwidth to get online, um, and teachers are, are having to come up with ways to serve their kids, like literally sending home packets and calling families on the telephone. So it's really all over the place. The one thing that I'm hearing in common is that teachers are really stressed out. Um mm. Mm-hmm. because they've been forced to change the way that they serve kids. Um, they miss the kids. The kids miss them. They miss one another. Um, and teachers are finding it really hard to separate their work life now from their home life because everything's happening at home. Now, you yeah. as a homeschooler, you know, I'm sure you, you've talked a lot about this and it, you've figured those things out, but it's teachers haven't, most teachers that I'm talking to haven't figured out how to set clear boundaries yet. Right, right. How to how to create that balance and time for you, and then supporting your own children, and yeah, absolutely. That in itself becomes its own practice, right? It is. Yeah, it yeah. Is. And the other thing I'm hearing is that um, teachers are recognizing as they're moving online uh, that they can't move as quickly as they did in the classroom. That online teaching and learning. Um, is more labor intensive in the sense of when our students submit all of their work in written form, um, it actually takes us longer to review those things and give feedback and comment on them. And so there, I think a lot of teachers are just at the beginning phases of recognizing that online teaching and learning needs to be an am- amended activity. You cannot actually do what you did in your school um, online. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Very interesting. That's Um, not unlike what happens with you in homeschooling. Homeschooling doesn't really, in its best forms, it doesn't look anything like what we do at school. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. And actually, that's been an interesting conversation I've had as well, because, you know, I've had so many calls and messages saying, oh, my goodness, you know, one, you, I don't know how you, now I understand homeschooling and what you've been doing, or how do I do this? How do I homeschool at home? And it's kind of, the start of the conversation is, okay, just hold on a second, because this is actually not homeschooling. It's, there's a difference between learning at home or learning through home and the experiences through home, which is more homeschooling and school at home. It's not the same thing at all. Yeah, Robin, I would recommend if people want to get a glimpse into that and get their heads wrapped around the differences, um, there's a great movie out there called Class Dismissed. Yes. Um, yes. You can stream it online. I do believe you have to pay for it. It was free for a little bit, but um, I have not seen a better explanation of that transition from being a student in school to considering homeschooling to trying it out and initially replicating school at home to beginning to explore the different kinds of homeschooling to figuring out what what works for your kid. Mm, I agree. It's actually a fantastic documentary. I I know because Jeremy had just, yeah, he had released it for free just this week, a few days ago, and I actually logged on, I got onto it, and I just have it on pause right now so I can watch it again. I, I had bought it or I had rented it years ago and watched it, but it's fantastic. I'm looking forward to watching it again with my kids actually today. So I, I agree. I'll put that in the show notes, the link to that, to Class Dismissed as well. Yeah, Jeremy's done some other work since uh, since that film, but for new families who are thrust into being at home with their kids, it's a great way to sort of take a look at what's happening and to begin to consider your options at home um, and to not just move into, let's try to recreate your classroom at the dining room table. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, the big change in for those in the traditional structure and for those that do not have their children at home with them full time otherwise. And now that that's happening, how do you like how might this affect education or a child's learning? What are different ways that you see that happening? Well, will it I mean, affect it at all. I don't know. <laughs> well, let me put it this way. I actually hope it's going to, to affect things. I don't think it, it has any, I don't think that it can do anything but change education somewhat because um, the longer we are doing this and I, you know, I, I'll use my home state as, as the, um, as the example, you know, kids here are not going to go back to school until potentially September or August, mm-hmm. August or September. So for parents to now know that they have to spend <laughs> from now until August or September with their children, they're actually going to have to come up with some strategies to make that work. You know, we've got lots of different situations. Many people here in the U.S. are faced with working from home. So those families are having to figure out new work family balances. They're having to recreate the relationship of the parent as um, stay-at-home working parent, uh, also, you know, educational support person. And as families begin to settle into this new reality, their relationships are going to change. I can't imagine that we're going to come to the end of this um, isolation time without a number of people saying, you know, this wasn't actually so bad once we got settled into a new rhythm and routine at home. My kids now have a whole lot of freedom that they didn't. They're happier. They're less stressed out about the educational aspects of their lives. And I'm not sure that I should send them back to the school they went to. That could partly be because they figured some things out. It could also be because they're not as as happy with the uh, service that they've been able to get from their school district for for many reasons. Uh, But everybody's going to change coming out of this. And so if everybody's changed, I think that either the system's going to need to change or people are going to change their response to using the system as the main provider of education. Yeah, absolutely. I agree, actually. You know, I I guess I wonder, is the system ready for change? I know, you know, because you have been in the traditional structure, like from top to bottom, and you know, is it, it's an old structure that still functions. I mean, I know schools try their best to keep up with, you know, what our present day and technology and things like that, but there's still some, you know, it still lags in many ways, right? So Mm -hmm. this is going to force a change, but how ready is the structure of schooling to have that much of a drastic change? Because I do, I see many parents who, I've also had parents who say, you know what, I had once, I thought about homeschooling one time, but just had never jumped in. But now that I'm forced into it, I I feel like this is my chance and I'm going to keep doing it and I want to continue doing it. And it's actually working really well for us. There's some who are having some struggles, but there are others who are saying, you know what, we've really gotten into the groove of things. We are enjoying each other and we'd like to continue. I see my child returning to their childlike state. They're becoming more themselves again. There's been many rewards coming out of this that we want to, you know, continue seeing. So, but so is is a school structure ready for that type of change? Well, I think you touched on 
um, a key component of that. And it, it's going to really just depend on the mindset of the people who are in charge. So the parents you described who were thinking about homeschooling and now that they've had to do it, they've released into it. Um, you know, those are people, if you thought about like a bell curve, those are people that are on the far right side. They're kind of ready and ripe for innovation. And so now that they've been forced to do that with their children, um, they're seeing the value in that. You know, for every one of those people, I think there are still a lot of people out here who are fighting against um, the reality of what's going on, um, who are feeling victimized or, or really challenged by this. And I, so I think that the outcome is potentially that we're going to see mixed results. Do I think we're going to see a complete revolution or massive change in how we do education? I really doubt it. I mean, it's part of why I actually um, moved beyond um, our big systems of education and uh, founded micro school builders because I realized that sometimes it's easier to make change outside of the big systems, you know, just like you've done with homeschooling. <clears throat> you've taken the responsibility of your child's learning back into your own hands, knowing that, you know, you are your child's first and best supporter. You are your child's first teacher. You have the capacity to do that. So I think, you know, some are going to change and that will come if enough of the people within that particular system see this crisis as an opportunity <clears throat> to go ahead and make much needed changes. And then there will be, there will be groups of schools that um, just bide their time and get through this and then go back to school as normal. And then unfortunately, I think there'll be even a few that slide farther into um I don't know how to describe it other than just education that's not really designed for the children. Right. Kind of in, in the old ways that are comfortable and just yes. have kind of a set system that you follow along step by step by step by step. Because then when you it's laid out and you follow that, then that's your quantifiable checks and balances. And it's, uh, you know, it's a little bit easier that way in some way. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, you know, all of the innovations we're seeing in education, so homeschooling, unschooling, micro-schooling, um, come when the adult who's envisioning the, this option sees the child as the single most important thing in the equation, puts the child at the center of the activity. That's what homeschooling does. That's what unschooling does. That's what micro-schooling does. Is it, it's a, the, anything and everything that happens related to teaching and learning and education are focused on the child's interests, the child's skill sets, the child's passions, the child's deficit, you know, deficits, the places where we can actually build skills. Um, our big systems of schools have, I think, gotten lost a little bit in the in placing too much emphasis on um, balancing the budget, uh, raising test scores, uh, getting through curriculum, um, finishing a scope and sequence that's been mapped out for a particular grade level. Um, none of those things put the child at the center of the daily activities. Mm -hmm. Teachers do do that. I mean, I think not, you know, huge portions of teachers are called to the profession and know that the child is the center of education. But with the pressures of all of those other demands that I mentioned, it's really easy to forget that the child is the most important thing on a daily basis. Right. Yeah, absolutely. 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting too, because um, I think we should talk a little bit more about micro school builders, but I know for my friends that are in alternative school programs or independent or private school programs, a lot of said, or those who are running them have said that, you know, when I asked how their school has adapted and the majority of them had said, oh, well, we've, you know, immediately, as soon as quarantine happened or as soon as things shifted, our teachers already were, were already prepared pretty well. Like mm-hmm. they know they were, they're already connected with the, their classes and their kids. They've already been in touch with them. Everything's already set up and it's business as usual kind of mm-hmm. thing, you know, mm-hmm. they, they were just on the, their, their change was immediate actually. Mm-hmm. And they were never really disconnected from their kids. And I know also that is a little bit easier when you have a smaller school or you have a smaller structure because then you are more agile and flexible and you have that closer connection with your kids as well with your students. Um, so that connection is a little bit stronger than as well when you don't have so many structures or layers to go through too. Yeah. So what have you been hearing from, because I know you're in contact with a lot of parents and micro schools, of course. So what have you been hearing from, from your public? Well, the, the school builders, the school owners that are part of our micro school builders network have basically reported no hiccups at all. And I can tell you that I've actually witnessed that because we launched um, some collaborative work with our schools this fall. Uh, we started an online course that allowed our, our, we have a school in California, one in Minnesota, one in uh, Maryland, and two in Florida right now that are, are connected together. Their students are working together. Um, so our kids already had uh, online work that they were doing together and they had built communities. So, uh, and, and then each of our schools had their own ways that they were serving, serving kids remotely. Um, our school in Minnesota is a road schooling school. So um, oh, they cool. actually have two kids who are, who've been on the road all year and they've been working with their, their place-based classmates virtually all year. So there was pretty much no hiccup. Our school in, in California serves a profoundly gifted population. And those kids um, sometimes just need to be at home versus coming into the classroom. So mm-hmm. they serving yeah. their kids virtually, you know, to adapt to those kind of needs. There was pretty much no change for them at all to moving online. They've just made some adjustments around times that they meet, how often they meet. But all of the students in our schools have self-directed learning plans. So these kids just basically are doing the things they would have done together at home and they're using their online time to collaborate and meet. So it's, it's really different than what we're seeing from our public schools. There's no direct instruction happening. Uh, I wouldn't want to say none because, you know, when kids are doing self-directed learning, um, sometimes there's consulting an expert or working mm-hmm. with a mentor. So, um, you know, I wouldn't kid families out there our, even our homeschoolers get direct instruction from time to time. I'm sure there's yeah, things that you yeah. teach your kids, right, Robin? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's self-directed and they have a passion or interest that they want to delve into and they need to learn more. I help as much as I can. And then sometimes it gets to a point where I'm like, you know more than I do. We need to find someone else who can help mm-hmm. you, mentor mm-hmm. you, teach you, and and help you along this path. So absolutely, yeah, my kids have their their specific teachers for those certain activities that can mentor them and teach them along the way more so than I can. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our schools are doing really well. In fact, they're doing so well. They've begun to think about um, other kids and what other kids are doing, you know. So, you know, our kids who are in micro schools, just like your homeschooled kids, Robin, um, are aware of the suffering that some of their friends are going through. 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, many kids are reporting having to be sitting at a computer uh, much more now than they ever did when they were in the classroom. Uh, and they have less downtime and more uh, work that they need to complete in order to demonstrate that they've mastered the content that must be completed by the end of this school year in order to be socially or be promoted to the next grade level. I mean, some of these conversations are a little bit ludicrous. um, If you think about it, trying to replicate mastery of content that would have happened face to face um, and being more concerned about that than what is actually happening to the child at home. Um, I'm not hearing, I mean, I know some teachers are having these conversations, but I think the bigger conversation we should be having is what is the state of mind of children in general right now in the face of this crisis? What are their concerns? We should be worried about the social and emotional needs of kids right now, because as a, as a human species, people are pretty stressed out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I, I, you know, the question of, you know, I've been starting to read uh, articles coming up about, you know, the worry of our our kids are going to be so behind when they go back to school and we have to make sure they are ahead. And, you know, how do I make sure my my child is not losing their information and knowledge? And should we be putting them in extra classes and extra schooling to help them, you know, to to help them stay ahead of the, the path or ahead of the curve? But it's like, you know, I agree. It's the social emotional state that is primary because when you don't have that, when you are missing that foundation of uh, which builds resilience and perseverance in itself as well, if you are searching for that connection and support, all of that learning and academics, it, it just gets flushed down the toilet essentially. Yeah. You, you need that in order to build on top of your, build your learning. Yeah. Well, I I facilitate a course on mindfulness in the classroom, and that's one of the key concepts that we discuss uh, during the course is that, um, yes, doing mindfulness in the classroom takes time, um, but it's time well spent because if your students are not able to pay attention, if they don't know how to focus their awareness and their attention onto something that we're asking them to learn but that they're not learning the content anyway. So the time that we spend training kids uh, to be aware of their emotional states, to be able to regulate their bodily functions with breath work or meditation um, winds up, you know, paying huge dividends. We don't do it primarily because of academic uh, achievement, but there are plenty of studies out there that are actually showing the kids who are taught to do breath work, to meditate, to, to learn to be more mindful, actually see an increase in um, their academic outcomes. And I would say that's just because we're actually giving the kids the tools they need to be effective learners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the purpose is not doing it so that they can get better at academics. But it, we're doing that type of awareness, that work on personal awareness, just so they, they can be better human beings. Right. And 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 self-aware and self-sufficient as a citizen of the world, <laughs> and the the academics is just something that happens to be a byproduct, but it's mm-hmm. not the purpose in order to do those things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So actually, I wanted to talk a little bit more about because that's a really important point that I've actually had just been writing about this morning and you brought it up um, even before we started recording as well and you brought it up again now self-directed learning 
And the difference that happens when a child is um, a self-directed learner or being supported in self-directed learning, uh, what you've seen when... um, because I think this comes up now when everyone is at home and you hear struggles from parents about getting their children to do work or their fears of them falling behind uh, or, you know, how should they schedule things? They need some extra help and things like that when it comes to schoolwork. But the difference when, for example, you said a lot of your kids that you know at the micro schools are, are already self-directed learners. So really there hasn't been a big bump in the road for them in these changes. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that shifts your learning environment when you are engaged in self-directed learning? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, we can sort of talk in two directions. The kids who are already have been exposed to self-directed learning and, and it does take time. If a child has been part of a formal educational system, um, it takes time to sort of deprogram that thinking and to help kids get back to knowing that, um, what they're interested in is actually a value and it, and that they um, are being given the right to explore those things. And we have to basically go back in and reteach some skill sets. Um, and our micro schools are tending to do that. The older a child is, the longer it can take, but it is possible to do that. You know, for families that are at home um, and they're wanting to have their kids be more self-directed. So let's say uh, a, a parent, you know, two household parent, two parents uh, household, that both parents are maybe working from home now. um, And they're being faced with, you know, long days of meetings and work. And they've got kids at home who've got schoolwork that has to be completed. The best advice I have is to um, create a visual schedule. I mean, I know as homeschoolers, you probably have something like that, right? Your your Mm -hmm. family has a general rhythm that you follow throughout the week of, of, Big, big things that can be done during certain hours of the day. Um, you know, I don't recommend a heavy schedule like what you would see at school with like every 45 minutes we have a different subject. Um, but if that's what it takes for your child to feel comfortable being at home and to begin to take responsibility for the work that's being sent from the school, that's a good thing to have. So, um, you know, if you're working and you, and you know that you're going to have times of periods of time where you actually can't be supporting your child, the best thing you can do is to have them be clear about your, your not being available during that time, to have a visual schedule that helps them to know the things that they can be working on, and then have a backup of a list of fun things that your children are allowed to do on their own, um, that they're allowed to go. You know, I call it like a free choice kind of thing, things that they are permitted to do on their own, that they don't have to ask you for permission, um, that they can do until you're available. So it's really about setting some boundaries at home um, to make sure that you can be effective and they can be effective. Because it's when we've got those boundaries being violated that I think that the the tension and the challenges are coming up. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I know for us, we, because we are more, you know, we follow more of a natural learning unschooling approach. And so some people, you know, we do have a, a soft schedule, what mm-hmm. I call it, like we have our rituals, our daily rituals. And um, then we do have a loose schedule that our family creates together where it's not eight o'clock, you do this, nine o'clock, you do this, 10 until 12, you're working on this. It's, you know, my here's the week and the projects that our my kids want to create and work more on are part of that schedule, as well as some things. I mean, we live on a farm, and there's some things that they 
we're just all a, a team unit on that we need help with mm-hmm. that they um, they take responsibility for as well. So, you know, those certain tasks too that need to be done around like with the animals and around the, the yard and, and inside the home too. Those are all part of the learning process and all part of that schedule as well. Well, ultimately the way that you and your family are mapping out is sort of the ideal, but for families who have been thrust into being at home, um, it's going to take a little bit of a time for them to lighten, uh, to stretch that schedule a little bit and to mm, give more yes. freedom within it. So, you know, we, with kids, when we teach them, we tend to scaffold concepts. So for families that that sounds like nice, but not practical, you know, having some kind of a schedule that maps out the hours of the day, I wouldn't say like, you know, it has to parallel exactly what your school was doing, with the exception of if, if your kids are required to come to a you know an online class at a certain time, then setting reminders or um, alarms or things like that on your phones to help you with that would be useful. What I hope for families is that over time they can lighten up a little bit and and allow a little more play in the joints, so to speak. As kids get used to being bored again, I mean, this is one of the great benefits I think that's happening is being required to stay at home. You know, we're exhausting all of the things that we have to keep us amused, right? Or the, yes, you know, things yes. like technologies and TV. And um, we're finding that there's just a lot more time in the day where we're faced with, I don't know what to do with myself right now. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Growing up as a child, I had a lot of that. And I can remember my mother telling me to go outside and play. We, you know, we've gotten really far away from that. And so, you know, maybe we can't send our kids outside to play in the neighborhood, but letting our kids be bored for a little while and helping them come up with a list of things that they can do on their own when they're bored will begin to teach them the skills of self-regulation, allowing them to choose what they want to do for themselves. That's the sort of foundational piece that's necessary for self-directed learning. We have to actually give them back responsibility for what they do with themselves. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because then when you have that, then you're practicing that and, and you're and you're building. That's one way to build those skill sets. Absolutely. Yeah. And so for families that they're doing this the first time, you may have to build that skill slowly. You may offer that as an hour a day of free choice. You get to pick what you want to do. And then the next week, maybe it's the afternoon. And then the next week, it, you know, you could, I would scaffold that because it's not easy to do it if you haven't been given permission to do that in our, in our schools, for the most part, kids don't have a whole lot of opportunity to choose the direction of their learning. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I find, I know there's also, um, there's, there's some as well who it's uh, fairly loose. Like for example, for in Alberta, the, the mandate, I guess, that was sent out was that kids basically are doing the uh, minimal, like they have a meeting with their teacher once a week, and then they're given or maybe they meet with their teacher online once a week. And then every day they have they go onto Google Classroom and Google Hangout and find their assignment for the day, for example. So they have a lot of time in the day. And and there is actually a kind of a schedule put out by the government saying that kids grade one to grade six should be doing the the requirement is, um, I think they had said, what was it, three hours a week, or maybe it's even two hours a week, and then three hours for grade seven and grade eight. 
and grade nine and up, it's five hours in the week kind of thing. Well, I think, Robin, what people are going to find out really quickly is that we have a whole lot of inefficiency in what happens in school um, because yes. our kids are, are there for six, seven, eight hours a day. And yet now that we're at home, the tasks that they're being given to, to do to count as the uh, replacement for physically being in school only take two or three hours a day. Mm-hmm. In fact, there's some great uh, parents can look. There's some really great guidance out there. Our younger kids don't need to be focused on direct instruction all that that much. Our older kids, you know, probably can spend a little more time because, you know, especially if your children are aspiring to go to college, um, there is content knowledge that they need to be consuming to be ready and prepared for that. Especially if they have a specific career path, there is domain knowledge that they're going to need to have to be effective. And the transition from homeschooling to college can be easy, can be challenging, really depending on, on whether or not students are ready to go from having full control over their learning to having, you know, faculty working directly with them. But um, yeah, kids can get the work done. Homeschooling families, you know this. Mm -hmm. Learning happens 24-7. There's never a time when school is not on. Um, But the work that we do that we count as our educational pieces um, doesn't have to take a whole lot of time every day. Yeah, absolutely. The schoolie pieces that, yeah. Exactly. The schoolie pieces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They they actually don't. And I think that is a huge surprise for many homeschooling families is that, you know, they expect they, in the beginning, you set the schedule for even half a day or sometimes a full day, and then it gets done in the hour. And yep. uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, I think well, that's the part other... of the de-schooling shock of, of that as well. <laughs> well, and that's what I'm saying for families that are just now dipping their toes into this and thinking about it taking baby steps towards that is the probably the best idea. Right. Um, you know, having something that feels a little bit like school just to ease out of it is not a bad thing, but we don't want to, what we really don't want to do is recreate the classroom in our dining room. And that movie class dismissed really does a good job of showing what that, what that looks like to try to make that happen. Um, yeah. Everybody winds up being unhappy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they actually have that part where they do school at the kitchen table every morning mm-hmm. to start out with and try mm-hmm. and recreate the classroom. And they go through the frustrations of what happens in, in trying to do that. They do it very, very well. That's right. Yeah. So so your suggestion in helping to reteach self-directed learning or supporting self-directed learning, if you're someone who's coming from the you know, very structured school system to now where maybe you're a working parent, you have your own work schedule, you're trying to support your kids with what they have for school, uh, creating a visual schedule um, and really adapting that to how what works for your family and where they are in their in their self-directed learning, um, giving your child some responsibility so that mm-hmm. they practice responsibility on their own time, as well as lightening up, giving room for play and free time, allowing boredom, not seeing boredom as a negative thing that should be stamped down as soon as it comes up, but giving space for boredom. When When is a time where if you're coming from a strict schedule and you have recreated your schedule at home, but you think, okay, when should you start seeing the signs that you can start loosening up and maybe giving your child a little bit more responsibility and a little bit more space in their schedule? I don't know if there's a singular answer to that. I mean, I can point to um, examples I know, like 
Summerhill School, which is a democratic school in England, has reported that you know there that is a space where students have been given um, completely complete freedom over their own learning. And mm-hmm. when they have students come in from traditional school systems, they'll say that the transition can take as little as a day or two, or maybe a week. And I think the longest reported change uh, that they saw for a student, it was an older student. It took that student three months to finally um, want to begin to direct their own learning and to have ideas around what they wanted to do. So part of why boredom is such a good thing is because it allows us to just get back to our imaginations, to think about the things we want to be doing, to, to see directions we might like to take our learning. And it can take time. Um, so it's not something you can rush. Every, rush, every kid is going to come to that differently. Mm, okay. Just try and be in tune and, and have that conversation together as a family to be in tune to what the needs are and where everyone yeah. is at and, and how they're progressing. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I think people can do is they can, if there's a, if there's a small school in your area that's offering, um, online classes for the students, you can reach out to see if you can do a virtual visitation. Um, I know our schools are getting ready to do that to offer opportunities for people to um, attend class. But you know, when I say class, it's, it's, it's self-directed learning gatherings that they have planned for during a week. They're preparing to allow students, uh, outside students, to come in and have a taste test of that. And I think that, you know, families could reach out to any schools in their community that offer, you know, Montessori schools, Waldorf schools, um, democratic free schools. Uh, This would be a great time for people to reach out and ask to do um, virtual visitations into the schools uh, while you actually have this freedom and the time to do it. It gives you a chance to see what it looks like Right. Yeah, that That's a, a fantastic a idea. Yes, absolutely. That's a really good idea. Um, yeah. And, th- and then you also don't feel like you have to make the choice immediately. You can dip your toes in and see what, what how it works and what it looks like and then ask questions and get feedback. I love that. Yeah, that is a very mm-hmm. good idea. So for micro school, for the micro schools that you work with micro, and micro school builders, how are they doing that? Are they having kind of an open house and saying you don't have to register? You can just, you know, log on and see what we're doing for the week. You can, your children can participate in these activities or you can just watch. Well, how are, how are, how are you guys doing that? Well, so what, the way that we've decided to approach it is an, as a network. Um, so um, on our website, which you'll put in the show notes, uh, we have a button where families can explore the options in our network. We have schools that range from pre-K to, we have a school that's a pre-K to three school. We have a school that, that ranges from maybe like third grade up to about eighth grade. We have another school that is a, is a remote high doing remote high schooling right now. Um, and each one of those schools is going to provide a different kind of an experience. So, um, what we're going to do is I'm going to actually talk with families that are interested in visiting our schools and make recommendations, which of them are the best fit based on the kid. Cause you know, again, like we're not, our schools aren't, don't have a one size fits all approach. Families are welcome to contact us to find out more about what our options are. And then literally uh, I'm going to put families in direct contact with the school owners and together the parent and the school owner will decide the best time for the visit, uh, how to make that happen using technology, et cetera. So literally they're going to customize a visit for each student. It's not a specific day of the week. It's not a specific week. It, they're 
willing to actually open up their doors during any of the remaining weeks of school uh, to families that want to come and visit. Okay. Wow. I think that is... um... That's the education of the future, really, because <laughs> it's I, and I because I, I also know you and I'm familiar with micro school builders as well and all of the micro schools. So I, I understand that the schools are very unique. Well, it's like what you said, where education and schooling, actually, the single most important part of the equation is a child. And that's the mm-hmm. center of it. And the micro schools, their focus is are is the individual child. So it's not a everybody come here because you're in my area. It's really adapted to those those needs and interests and qualities and supports as well. So it's mm-hmm. it's in, it's unique to the child. So I can see why you would want to match it with the right, uh, you know, adapt it to to that child yeah. that's inquiring. We've honestly started to use the word bespoke. I know it's not a word that folks in the U.S. are as familiar with as maybe Europeans are, but that sort of customized education Mm -hmm. for each child. Um, Our schools are all bespoke. They're designed by someone with a vision for what their community wants and needs and what the kids in that area need. But now with this opportunity to be online, um, they're able to open up their doors and to offer this, this, these very unique learning spaces beyond their physical geographic locations. Okay. Can, can you give an example maybe of one of the schools and what they would do or, or how they um, support the learners there? Sure. Well, I can give you two examples off the top of my head. So I mentioned our school in Pasadena. Uh, it's the Cambria Institute, and it was designed for um, a very highly gifted population in that sort of L.A., Hollywood, Pasadena area. Um, these are kids who um, have had a lot of challenges because their their intellectual capacities have made it difficult for them to always get what it is that they want and need as learners. So um, that school serves students who are in grades. uh, I don't even want to say grades because the kids really aren't, there's no grade levels at the school per se. Um, Students are are maybe aged nine, 10 years old and up. Um, But uh, the students are all have an individual learning project that they're working on. Uh, They've been matched up with mentors who are actually adjunct faculty and full-time faculty at Caltech. Um, You know, there's a student there who's working on virology projects at home because he's so Mm -hmm. super interested in the COVID-19 crisis. Um, You know, so that, I mean, he's got a mentor from Caltech that's helping him to, to set up his lab at home and, and work on those ideas. So it's really the best of what you probably do as a homeschooler, except you've got a school owner who is a master teacher who is, has created community with all of those learners who really are benefiting from having an experience of uh, being connected with other kids like themselves. That's the problem that a lot of them have faced is they were, you know, a singleton in a traditional school as a profoundly gifted child. And what they typically were getting was acceleration through traditional content versus customized learning um, to meet their own interests and passions. And that's what Cambria does. Our school in Minnesota um, is was designed for highly sensitive kids. So kids who um, found it difficult to be working in large groups or to have somebody totally telling them how to do things, when to do it, or kids who um, had difficulty with bells ringing and having to stop what they were doing and move to another class. So um, that school 
works a lot on social and emotional regulation. They spend a lot of time outside. They do a ton of hands-on learning um, by traveling and the school, when it's in session physically, they uh, go on field trips once a week at least. And three times a year, the entire school takes a uh, week-long road schooling trip together. Oh, wow. uh, now, obviously, they're not doing those things right now. But um, what they are able to do is still stay together as community and work on their passion projects. Um, and that school has a little bit of a younger learner. So there is some direction as far as reading and mathematics go. There's some customized pieces that the kids do independently on their own, but they still gather every morning to read together, to uh, talk with one another, to plan out their days together. So um, that's just two examples. Um, and each of the schools is radically different. They're very, they're identical in the sense of the child is at the center of the learning, but the profile of the child is slightly different. So the response is slightly different. Okay. Okay. So if, uh, if I'm a parent that's interested in learning more on the website, we'll have your website that I'm going to put in the show notes. We'll have all the details on how to access that or to get in touch with you so that you can help, um, assign a school or a different schools that they can try to support. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, uh, the call to action is to just spend some time to book a call to talk to me. Uh, and I'll be happy to share with listeners, um, what options we have available, but most importantly to listen to what it is that the parent wants and needs for their child. Um, cause at the end of the day, you know, my job is just the same as the educators who run the schools. It's to make sure that children are getting the supports and the experiences that benefit who they are and, and what they want to do with their lives. Mm, absolutely. Okay. So I also wanted to, uh, to ask you, um, I know one of the questions that I had that I had sent. And I think actually, as we're getting towards our time too, and we had talked about um, what micro schools are offering right now, which is fantastic in your community for parents and the ways that parents are adapting to the COVID crisis right now and what we can do in our homes to also help better support our child in self-directed learning, which then helps the parents too, especially if a busy schedule is, you know, our future right now is we don't know what's going to happen. It's uncertain. Nobody really seems to know when all of this is going to come to an end, when things are going to shift, uh, when we can all come outdoors and and go back to life outside of the home. But what are your suggestions for parents uh, when we're preparing for the future with our kids? How do we prepare ourselves? How do we prepare our kids? Do you have some suggestions? Although I know it's hard because we don't have a crystal ball right now, but what can we do now? Well, I think the thing that you've already said it, Robin, we do know that at some point this is going to change. We will be able to come out of our homes we will be able to go back to life, air quotes, as normal. And I think that the best thing parents can be doing right now, once you get yourself through that crisis point of, I've got to figure out how to manage my work and my home life now that they're all mushed together, the best thing a parent can be doing is, is now thinking about, do I actually want to go back to the way things were? Or do, my, do I want my child to go back to the way things were? Um, you know, while there is so much challenge and so much pain in this crisis, it's also an opportunity for learning. It's kind of like the proverbial phoenix. You know, the the bird is being burned up in the ashes right now. The way that we did mm -hmm. things, we can't do things the way we were doing them. Um, 
And so I would suggest that parents be thinking about, do we actually want to go back to things the way they were, or is this an opportunity to do something new? So, you know, thinking about becoming a full-time homeschooling, unschooling, road schooling family, thinking about looking for a small school and, or a micro school in your community to, to try now so that you can have a choice ready for the fall if schools are reopened in the fall, or even, you know, something more, um, a bolder, like creating a school in your community uh, now, beginning mm-hmm. to work on that now so that you have a new option ready for kids come fall uh, when we hopefully, you know, in my mind, I'm hoping we can return to schooling in the fall for the mass of children on the planet. Um, at least here in the U.S., that's what that's when we typically go back to school. I know, you know, in other countries, it's a different time frame, but being able to return to groups, group schooling, because that's really the thing that um, kids seem to want is to have community with each other. Can we figure out new ways to do that now so that we can just sort of pick up with the new things when this is over? I think that's the, uh, uh, the right way to be thinking. I agree. I actually, what you said, the phoenix and the ashes, that was a mm-hmm. perfect analogy. And because I actually, I, I, I uh, can be very visual. So I pictured mm-hmm. that phoenix in the ashes rising up and being reborn, essentially, right? Recreating something yeah. new is definitely going to come out of this. Well, I don't think we're going to have another op- another opportunity like this to really recreate education. And I'm not sure that it'll be recreated inside the systems. I, I'm seeing lots of success with the families that are, are doing things differently and the school owners who are, are creating new spaces. And so, you know, looking into those things, getting involved with those kind of opportunities, this is, this is the, definitely the time for it. And it's funny, I should have mentioned one of our other schools, one of the things they're doing um, is they're going to be offering um, summer camp, virtual summer camp options because they always run a summer camp and uh, they're not even sure that we're going to be able to be out of our homes in, in time for that. So, right. you know, be starting to reach out to your summer camp, your favorite summer camps to find out if they're going to have virtual options for kids. Um, if you want to know about the one that's going to be operating through one of our schools, happy to share that information with you. But you know, this is the time to be looking for those other ways to do things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the great thing as well now because of the the COVID crisis, so many opportunities have come up. Like we we have access to so much that probably was, you know, so many, many new things have been created, but a lot of things have already been there. But now our awareness has shifted and we're able to see what has been available and the choices that we have. And there is quite a bit, actually. It's not always just the same way all the time. Right. Which I, I'm very happy that we have those choices. So your website is microschoolbuilders.com. And you also have a Facebook page, Facebook group that we can, I know it's very active and you provide a yeah. lot of information and resources on there as well. We do. It's the same. It's the same name. So if you were on Facebook and you typed in micro school is one word, builders as the second word, uh, we have a Facebook group there. It is active. We've got lots of school owners in there. We've got lots of prospective school owners. Um, you know, parents would definitely be welcome in there as well um, to come in and post and, and to find out more about what uh, people are doing to create new alternatives in education for families and kids. Okay, fantastic. And then we can go to your website if we want to find out how we can connect with you and find out more about uh, the schools and 
the uh, I mean the the virtual engagement, I guess we could say, right? It's not even an open house. It's just direct connection with the schools and to find out what's out there. Right. Yeah. When you land on the website, um, you know, we have a ton of, of information there about building a school, but we've put a button right up at the top that says, try out a new school. Um, if you click on that, that'll take you to the page to be introduced to our network um, and to connect with me about potentially uh, trying out one of our schools. Okay. Microschoolbuilders.com. That's correct. <laughs> Perfect. So I will have that link in the show notes as well. Okay. Thank you so much, Mara. Is is You're there welcome. anything is there anything else that you want to leave us with? Any other great? I know you always have such great tidbits and advice. Uh, with anything that you would like to uh, maybe give a little bit of support and hope to parents that are out there, either that are just discovering you, or maybe that already know you but want to uh, hear a little bit more. Oh, I just i I would encourage parents and kids and families to see this time as a gift, even with all of the difficulty. Like I said, with the the metaphor of the phoenix, um, it has been my experience and it's probably been most adults' experience that the most difficult things that come in our life that take away the things that we love or the things that we thought we needed um, usually are followed by an opportunity for something new to happen in our lives, a new mm-hmm. experience, a new opportunity. Um, so I would encourage you to be excited about the opportunities that are being afforded to your child as far as education is concerned. Um, you really, you can't mess this up. I Kids are not going to fall behind if you encourage them to tap back into the things that they love and to explore the things that they're interested in. That's really the secret sauce. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, you can't mess this up. Kids are not going to fall behind and encourage them to to tap back into their interests and what they love. I think that's a great, great way to uh, to see this and to, to go forward, forward on it. Thanks for the chance to talk, Robert. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mara. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share, leave a review or comment. I'd love to hear your thoughts, ideas, and reflections on the episode. You can go to the website, imhomeschooling.com, or email me directly, robin at imhomeschooling.com. homeschooling.com.